Good morning, everybody. Welcome to our morning service. Whether you're here in person in the building or you're you're watching online, and a particular warm welcome to those of you who may be here for the first time as well. Um, we hope you'll enjoy your time with us uh, this morning. Please do stay and join us for some refreshments after the service. Great to have a chat over a cup of coffee. Well, this morning we're back in Mark's Gospel, and our staff's going to be preaching from chapter 6 on the, the shepherd king's compassion. And one of the ways in which God chooses to describe himself in the Bible is as a God of compassion. Uh, Psalm 103 contains this description, which can be found in other places in the Bible. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. And Psalm 103 is also a great call to worship, to worship our great God. It opens with these words. Praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Or we've just sung, there's no victory but Jesus Christ crucified. No other cure for sin but that our Saviour died. No other hope we have but that he rose again. Our sins are forgiven. Our salvation is assured through the death of Christ. But it's good to confess our sins regularly. Uh, We don't do this out of fear that if we we don't, somehow those sins will not be forgiven. Uh, We do it to remember and rejoice in the fact that we have been forgiven through the death of Christ. And to remain close to God. Because as we confess our sins, we're also praying that God would protect us from temptation as we go forwards. So let's have a moment in quiet to confess uh, Privately, our sins before the Lord, and then in a moment we'll say together the prayer of confession that will appear on the screen. So let's say together this prayer. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we have sinned against you and against your children, our brothers and sisters, in thought and word and deed. In the evil we have done, And in the good we have not done, through negligence, through weakness, through our own deliberate fault. We have wounded your love and marred your image in us. We are sorry and ashamed and repent of all our sins. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, who died for us, forgive us all that is past and lead us out from darkness to walk as children of light. Amen. Well, Psalm 103 also provides us an assurance of our forgiveness. And in these words, he will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Praise the Lord for that. Let's come to our God in prayer. Let's pray for those who are suffering at this time throughout the world, but also in this church family. Let's remember 
uh, Hannah and Jeff. Hannah has just lost her, her younger brother. Um, also, if you know the Oatley family who uh, used to be part of this church, uh, Jeff has also gone to be with the Lord this, this week. So let's pray for them as well. Let's pray now to our compassionate Father. Father God, when we look at these images and think of the, the number of people who've lost loved ones, who've lost their homes, now living in makeshift tents, it fills us with, with sadness, as we know it does you. And in their time of pain and disruption and uncertainty, we pray that you would show them your presence and your compassion. We pray for the Christians in that country that in the words of 2 Corinthians, they would be able to comfort those in trouble with the comfort they themselves have received from you. We pray for those affected that they would receive the practical, emotional and spiritual help and support they need. We pray for those seeking to provide this, for for the medics, the rescue workers, for, for Tim and others who volunteer to offer in any way they can. We pray you'd grant them strength and courage in the days and weeks ahead. And we pray the same, Lord, for those suffering as a result of the floods in Libya at this time. And we pray for the wider issues in that country, that you would provide the people with a unified government that will rebuild the nation with justice and peace. We pray that Jesus would reveal himself to the people of that country. And we pray for strength and courage for the few who are already Christians in the persecution that they face. Father, these situations make us realize just how blessed we are in this country and in this church. We pray for our own church family, that you would help us grow in our love for you and for each other. We thank you for the chance to do that next weekend as many of us go away together. And pray for John T. Alcock, our speaker, and his final preparations for that uh, for that weekend that you would use him to bless us richly as we go ahead to the next church members meeting the following week we thank you for all those who have applied for membership who want to commit themselves to their brothers and sisters in christ and we thank for alastair's willingness to stand for election to the eldership and father if it is your will that he's appointed we pray that you would make that clear to us all that you would equip him with the power of your spirit to serve your people humbly and faithfully. Father, we pray for members of our church family in need of your compassion at this time. Do pray for those grieving the loss of loved ones, for Wendy and the family following the funeral of Peter on Friday as the reality of his loss sinks in for Hannah and Jeff and the family for the loss of Hannah's brother Herbert over the family of Jeff Oatley may they all know your comfort and strength at this time Lord for those with physical or mental illness for those trying to care for people who are ill whether they're family members or friends Lord Give them the strength, the compassion that enables them to do that. Father, we pray for the outreach of this church as we seek to proclaim the good news of Jesus. And we do lift up to you this morning the work of adventurers. We thank you for all those families who 
came before the summer who don't normally come to church. And we pray for this term ahead, the wisdom and the plans that are being made, that she would raise up others who are willing to join that team. We pray for our overseas mission. And remember this morning the Ku family and the work they're doing in Bible translation. We pray for Rene as he takes more of a, a leadership role. We pray you'd grant wisdom to all the leaders as they discuss changes in the, the structure of that regional team. We thank you for their visit to Korea in the summer. And, and we do pray for their family, for Rene's brother, that he would recover from his recent stroke, for strength and peace for his mother, and for their children in their new term at school. And we do pray for Rene and Simone in their, their own relationship with you, that as they request, that they would be more spiritually sensitive to your Holy Spirit. Father, we pray for Saab as he comes to preach shortly, that through your Spirit, he would speak with clarity and conviction, so that our hearts would know you as the God of all compassion, and that we would want to express that compassion to others in the way we live our lives. So we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus feeds the 5,000. The apostles gathered round Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognised them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said. And it is already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then Jesus told them to make all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of men who had eaten was five thousand. Karen, thank you so much uh, for reading for us this morning. Been away for a couple of weeks. It's uh, lovely to uh, to be back with you all uh, this morning. Uh, let's uh, let's pray. Uh, before we turn to this text. Uh, Father, as, uh, as we come to your word uh, this morning, we, uh, we need your help. Uh, please, would you by your spirit uh, speak to us? 
Uh, Would you shine your light on the truth uh, that our hearts so desperately need to hear? Would you speak to us uh, this morning? I encourage our hearts, we pray, and lead us into all truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, As Neil said, uh, we are continuing our journey through uh, Mark's Gospel uh, this morning, and uh, we come to uh, the miraculous feeding of uh, the 5,000. And uh, aside from the resurrection, uh, the feeding of the 5,000 is the only miracle that is recorded uh, in all four of the Gospels. Uh, It's one of the most well-known miracles uh, that the Gospel writers uh, record for us, and if you've uh, grown up through Sunday school, you've probably received the, the teaching on this uh, many, many, many times. Um, and it's a miracle that we do recognize, don't we? Uh, it's very, very familiar to us. It's a very well-trodden uh, part of Scripture. And uh, the danger is that we can come to it a little bit like looking at this, uh, this picture uh, of a very comfortable uh, and happy account of an amazing picnic uh, out uh, in the lush grass. Hordes of people sitting on picnic rugs, Uh, Noshing away on the miraculous expansion of the contents of a small boy's lunchbox. And we may have heard it so many times uh, that we grow up and we come to this bit of scripture and we have this, this warm and fuzzy feeling uh, inside ourselves. Oh, everyone had something to eat. Wasn't that nice? So I want to shine a light on this text this morning. So what I'd like you guys to do this morning is just... Park, if you can, um, what you might have in your mind's eye about this text. Um, Put aside our children's Bible account uh, and look at this account afresh this morning. There's so much that we uh, can notice uh, when we look at uh, this text. Uh, The feeding miracle uh, reaches back... Uh, to the greatest event in the history of the people of God in the Old Testament. Uh, And it reveals uh, a king, and it reveals a new exodus. And uh, what I'd like to do this morning is I want us to see two things. I'd like us to see the significance of the miracle, and the heart of the king, and his call. So the significance of the miracle. Now, to unfold the significance of the miracle this morning, we're going to have to do a little bit of hard work. So I do hope that uh, you're all up for that uh, today. So we'll need to have alert minds. Uh, Our reading starts in verse 30. And we're told that the disciples came back to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. So we ask ourselves, well, where did they come back from and what have they done? And Mark tells us, if you've got your Bibles open, uh, just look back to chapter 6, uh, verses 7 through 12. And here we see that uh, Jesus has uh, already sent his disciples out on mission. And we see in verse 12 what it is that they did. Take a look with me. He tells us that uh, they called people to repent and they healed many. And the action that we have in verse 30 follows on from that. But interesting, isn't it, that rather than going straight from the first mission trip to the feeding of the 5,000, Mark, if you like, stops the narrative, pulls us aside, and draws us into Herod and his banquet in verses 14 through 29, which Neil opened up for us a couple of weeks ago. And then we find ourselves 
back in verse 30 with the disciples coming to Jesus, uh, filled to overflowing with all that they had done, all that they had seen, and telling him about the way that people responded to the news of the kingdom. So why did Mark think it was important for uh, him to tell us about the banquet that Herod had in the middle of what looks like an obvious thread of narrative? Now, there are lots of reasons, but one of them is because there's something about Herod's banquet that helps us see something more of the kingdom of God, more of Jesus. And so by including the account of Herod's banquet, one of the things that Mark is showing us is the difference between the kingdoms of this world and the kingdom of God. Look with me, will you, at the the contrast. At the occasion of Herod's banquet, chapter 6, verse 21. It's his birthday. It's a special day for Herod. The occasion of Jesus' banquet, it's his compassion for the people. The need of the people was the motivation for Jesus' banquet. Herod's banquet is held in a fortress, a palace, walls uh, to keep people out. But Jesus' banquet, well, that's held in the open. No walls, merely a welcome. Herod's banquet is held to bolster his own standing uh, so that he can receive gifts from all those who come along. But Jesus' banquet is completely different. It's there to meet the needs of others, to give out to them. Who's invited to Herod's banquet? It's the military commanders. The nobles and the leading men, and we see that in chapter 6, verse 21. To get a ticket to Herod's banquet, you needed to be somebody. And who's invited to Jesus' banquet? People running on foot from the local towns and villages. No barriers. Anyone is welcome. Everyone is welcome. Uh, Who's at the head of those banquets? At one, it's Herod. He's actually not a king. Uh, he's a ruler of a particular quarter, a particular territory that the occupying Romans have allowed him to be ruler of. He's a pretend king. And who's the head of the other banquet? Well, Mark tells us that, chapter 1, verse 1. The Son of God, the King of Kings. Now, what do we find at Herod's banquet? We find rivalries, we find jealousies. We find fear, we find pride, and we find death. What do we find at Jesus' banquet? We find compassion, we find care, we find food for the soul and for the body, and food in abundance. So Mark sets up this amazing contrast as we come into the feeding of the 5,000. He wants us to just clock that before we come to this passage. He sets up that contrast. But he also wants us to see something more than that, not just the contrast, but the amazing parallels between this miraculous feeding of the 5,000 and the miraculous rescue of God's people in the Old Testament, the greatest rescue in the Old Testament, the Exodus. Now, in the Old Testament, uh, we read that the people of Israel had been enslaved by the Egyptians. And in that land, God raised up a leader of his people, Moses. And Moses, I think, has arguably become the most significant person in the Old Testament as far as the people of Israel are concerned. 
And through Moses, uh, God worked mighty wonders, signs, miracles, and rescued his people from slavery in Egypt in order to bring them to himself. God carried them from Egypt through the Red Sea. And Moses led the people in their wanderings in the wilderness. There was a vast multitude, over a million people in that crowd, wandering in the wilderness on their way to the promised land. And in that wilderness, God miraculously provided food for them to eat. It was called manna. It was bread from heaven. And in this rescue of God's people, it's called the Exodus. Uh, one of the, it is probably the most significant event for the people of Israel, for the people of God's people themselves. And here, in the feeding of the 5,000, Mark wants us to see the tie back, the pointing back to the Exodus, the link back to Exodus and to Moses. So let's take a quick look. Uh, it will be quick at five uh, different ways in which Mark points us back to the Exodus. Uh, three ways to the Exodus account itself and two ways to Moses. Okay, we ready? Firstly, uh, three times in our reading, Mark tells us that Jesus and the disciples are in a remote or quiet or desolate place. Uh, take a look with me. We see that in verse 31. Uh, as uh, Jesus and the disciples, Jesus takes the disciples uh, to a quiet place. Uh, in verse 32, uh, take a look with me, uh, Mark tells us that uh, by boat they travel to a solitary place. Uh, and again in verse 35, if you take a look, uh, they are at the end of the day in a remote place. Now the translators use different words there, but the underlying Greek word for all of those three is the same. It's the word for desolate. Mark's driving home the point for us through repetition that Jesus' miracle is performed in a desolate place. Now, the original readers of Mark's gospel would have known the account of the people wandering through the Exodus in the wilderness, in desolate places. So their ears instantly would have pricked up. So Mark uses that same language to help us cast our eyes back to the Exodus account. Uh, secondly, uh, as the people of Israel wander in the wilderness, uh, what does God do? He feeds them miraculously. We find that in Exodus 16 with bread to eat bread in the wilderness. And now here, Jesus in the wilderness, again, that same Exodus story, we see a huge throng of people who need feeding. And this time, Jesus provides bread from heaven, bread in abundance for people to eat, more than enough. So again, Mark's drawing us our eyes to the Exodus account and the connection with Moses. And thirdly, verse 40, uh, do take a look down with me. Um, we see that Jesus asks uh, everyone to sit in groups of hundreds uh, or fifties. Uh, it looks, doesn't it, like such a small and irrelevant detail? Why bother to tell us that? Uh, but Mark's pointing us back to the way that Moses organized his people in the time of their traveling through the wilderness. You can go back to Exodus 18 and you can see that. So again, Mark is connecting this miracle, Jesus, with the pattern of Moses and the Exodus. And there are uh, two pointers to Moses. Uh, fourthly, to look at verse 34. Jesus is concerned that the people who had come to him were like sheep without a shepherd. Uh, a golfing friend of mine told me a story of where he, uh, one of his friends uh, was out on a golf course and some sheep had broken 
uh, free. I don't quite know how sheep break free, but they had broken free from their field and they had just wandered onto the golf course. There were sheep everywhere. They were just going hither and thither. They had no idea. They were just tearing around everywhere without any sense of direction uh, or purpose, getting caught in fences. They were distressed in their uncoordination because there was no one to lead those sheep. And here we're told that when Jesus looks out, he sees the masses and they look like sheep on that golf course, just wandering around, lost, with no one to care for them. Uh, In Numbers 27, at the end of Moses' ministry, uh, he goes uh, up onto a mountain and he looks down at uh, the people uh, of Israel. And with a heart for the people, he asks God, he says to him, uh, please do not let your people of Israel uh, become a people without a shepherd. Place a shepherd over them. And in verse 34, it's the same heart cry from Jesus that the people of Israel should not be as one without a shepherd. Someone to care for, to guide them, to protect them, to feed them. A good shepherd. Mark saying again, look, this is just like Moses. And we know that Jesus in one of his famous I am sayings in John chapter 10, he calls himself, doesn't he? The good shepherd. And finally, uh, take a look again at verse 34 uh, with me. We see that Jesus encounters the people. And what does he do? He teaches them. He teaches them. And Moses, uh, the greatest uh, leader of God's people in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy 18, 18, he tells the people of Israel that God will send a prophet like him, like Moses, to the people of Israel. And Moses says, this one, listen to him. Listen to him. And what do we see here? The one greater than Moses amongst his people and the people are listening to him. Here is someone who is like Moses, but greater. So that's the significance. The banquet that Jesus offers is unlike any banquet that the world might invite us to. And that Jesus's banquet reveals a new exodus. A new exodus is underway. And someone greater than Moses is here. So that's the perspective Uh, For us, uh, as uh, we look now at our second point, the heart of the king and his call. Now, we saw in verse 30, didn't we, that the disciples had been on a mission trip. Uh, They'd gone out, they'd gone out preaching, and they'd gone out healing. Uh, And that mission trip we saw in uh, chapter 6, 6 through 13, had been phenomenally successful. It's a sort of mission trip that we all pray uh, that we could be on. Huge numbers of people. Uh, followed them and had come to them and to Jesus. So much so that the disciples just couldn't catch a break. They just could not get a rest. And even after Jesus invites them, come away to a desolate place, so eager are the people to hear more about the king and this kingdom that they just keep running after Jesus and his disciples. Even when the disciples try to get further along the beach, uh, along the shore, the people keep running after them. And in verse 33, we see that they recognize the disciples, and that's the reason that they tear after them. And then in the heart of this passage, we see Jesus' heart. Take a look with me at verse 34. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them, Many things. 
The disciples are exhausted. Yeah, they've been on a mission trip. They come back, and Jesus says to them, come on, come on, let's just uh, retreat to a quiet place. Let's, uh, let's just get some rest, just you and me. But a huge crowd appears. And Jesus' response is so telling, isn't it? Uh, seeing the people, Mark tells us he had compassion. Uh, the Greek word uh, that's translated uh, compassion is only used of, um, of Jesus in the New Testament. And it's an incredibly strong word. Uh, it's, it's not sympathy uh, or, or general kindness uh, or some form of pity. It's much, much stronger. It's a stomach-churning, gut-wrenching, intense sense of being deeply, deeply moved. And even though Jesus and the disciples need rest... The needs of the people stir his compassion for them. And it compels Jesus to meet their needs. Did you notice what the people need? What the sheep without a shepherd need? Their most pressing need here is to be taught. Is to be fed the word of God. I think that's really helpful, isn't it, for uh, for us uh, to see uh, the greatest need of the sheep is to be fed with the word of God. That, that's, an, that's a really powerful reminder for each one of us. Each of us who believes in Jesus, we're sheep. Our greatest need is to be in the word of God. Uh, there's a call for us daily to be in the word of God, to smuggle that word uh, into our hearts, to carry it with us, to feed us, to nourish our souls. But pointedly, there's also a call to us, the pastors here. Uh, We're the under shepherds to the one good shepherd, Jesus. And that same calling applies to us. Our main role, not our only role, but our main role, the thing that should occupy the lion's share of our time is the feeding of his sheep in this place. The sheep that God has placed in our care to feed you with God's word, to feed you. To be fed with God's word is your most pressing need. And we are here to serve you in that need. And so if you see us uh, slacking in that endeavor, if you think we're not working hard to feed you with the word of God Sunday by Sunday, small groups, discipleship meetings, House groups or in other ways, rebuke us, challenge us, help us to keep the main thing, the main thing. So back to the text, verses 35 and 36. By this time, it was late in the day, we read, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. So we see in verse 35, it's getting late. And seeing a looming crisis, thousands of hungry people in the wilderness at night, all of a sudden, the disciples become problem solvers. They become management consultants. They analyze the problem, and they come up with a workable solution. And this is what they conclude to be the most practical answer. It's late, the people are hungry, send them away. They can feed 
and fend for themselves. But Jesus' compassion is much, much greater. He knows that their souls have feasted on the word of God. Now, in his compassion, he wants to feed them with food for their bodies. The shepherd will not abdicate his responsibilities. He will not send his sheep off to be fed somewhere else. No. There's a practical ministry that is now required. So he turns to his disciples. Take a look at verse 37 with me. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we going to spend that much money on bread and give it to them to eat? The management consultants are at it again, aren't they? You can imagine they're quickly uh, looking around. They're getting a spreadsheet out. Uh, number of people, yeah, 5,000. Oh, don't forget the women and children, oh, 15,000. Uh, what about food? Yeah, okay, yeah. Uh, times that by the number uh, of, uh, of food that we need. Um, oh, wow, okay, that's a lot of bread, isn't it? Uh, oh, how's that? Multiply that by the cost of the food. Oh, oh, wow, that's, that's a lot. And then somebody chirp, chirps up, don't they? Oh, Okay, even if we could buy it, how are we going to get it here? Oh, don't worry, don't worry, says one. I've got a delivery app on my phone. You know, I can't get a signal. I can't get a signal. And they're just lost, aren't they? They're thinking to themselves, oh, they throw their arms up in the air. It's impossible. It is impossible. We can't afford it. We can't do it. We are beyond our capacity. And in their response, you can just see their utter, utter bewilderment and confusion. Jesus' response is simple. How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. There's 5,000 men and 5,000 women maybe and and more children, 15,000 people to feed And all they can rustle up is a small boy's lunch. You can imagine them kind of shuffling forward, can't you? With a small offering in their hand. This is what we've got, Jesus. Five loaves of bread. Two fish. But that's enough. That's enough. Jesus miraculously multiplies what the disciples bring. Jesus feeds the people in the wilderness. The crowd is fed with enough food. Now, as we've looked at those five verses, uh, I, want to look, I want us to kind of just look at three things and just drive out uh, some application uh, from that. Uh, firstly, uh, look at the partnership that Jesus invites the disciples into. Uh, up until now, as we've journeyed through Mark's gospel, uh, Jesus has been doing all the miracles. He's been healing the sick. Uh, he's been uh, casting out demons, cleansing lepers, even raising the dead. It's been Jesus who's been doing that as the disciples have looked on. Uh, But now, earlier in chapter 6, we saw that Jesus sent the disciples out and they had been at work healing and casting out demons. And now, Jesus wants them to work with him. Not because he needs them. No, Mark's already shown that he doesn't need them. But nonetheless, he calls them. He invites them. He invites them in to work with him. And through the small bit that they offer, he works an incredible miracle. 
Now, Jesus calls us into that same partnership. In our Christian journey, we're, we're not passengers on the bus, killing time, looking out of the window and wondering, are we there yet? No, we are partners in what Jesus is doing in the world now by lip and by life. We are to proclaim the Lord Jesus to a watching world that desperately needs to know that salvation. And so to help us with that, we'll have a chance later this term uh, to be further trained uh, in the ministry of evangelism. And we look forward to the course that Colin will be uh, running for us all. So please do look out for that and encourage one another in that. Uh, Secondly, the partnership that Jesus calls us into, it's an unequal partnership. Uh, The disciples are faced with a massive crowd and Jesus has called them to feed them. And all they have is a small child's lunchbox. But they bring what they have to Jesus. And Jesus uses the little that they bring to enormous effect. And we need to see this. It's easy, isn't it, for us uh, to see the pressing ministry needs and be overwhelmed. When the need is so large and our resources so small, either individually or, or collectively as a church, where they just look as if they're not enough. Not by a little, but they just look woefully inadequate. And maybe our personal finances have just taken a massive hit. And we know that by ourselves that we can't discharge all the responsibilities that the Lord has called us to. Maybe our relationships have broken up. And we don't know if we have enough emotional strength to meet the needs ahead of us. Or our health has suddenly given way. And we don't know that we have the strength to meet the needs that the Lord calls us to. And we feel woefully inadequate. And we know, we know our resources are inadequate. And to us, friends, to us, Jesus draws alongside. We know his arm around us. And he tells us it's not all on you it's not all on you i'm with you what have you got what can you bring he asks us in our inadequacy not in our abundance now one theologian reflecting on this sense of inadequacy in the face of overwhelming need he wrote this It is not God's intention that in ourselves we should be adequate for our tasks. Rather, God wants that we should be inadequate. If we only accept the tasks that are adapted to our powers, we are not responding to the call of God. The church is always in a crisis and always will be. There will be difficulties, limitations, insoluble problems, lack of resources, lack of people, lack of money, a menacing outlook, and endless misunderstandings and misrepresentations inside the church. We are not only to do our work despite these things, 
They are precisely the conditions requisite for doing what God calls us to. Only the inadequate are adequate. Only when we know it will take a miracle and we go and do it anyway, only then will God begin to work through you. Only the inadequate are, in, are adequate. So let's not be discouraged. Let's not be discouraged by the things that we don't have. But knowing it will take a miracle, let's lean into God and trust him. Whatever you're facing now, lean into God and trust him. Uh, But let's uh, not get caught in a negative way of thinking on focusing on what we don't have. Jesus asks us to look for what we do have. Now, for instance, you may have a really busy, busy schedule. But are you able to spare even one hour a week? Uh, Do you have that? One hour. If you do, then maybe look for a ministry that you can offer that one hour to. And watch what the Lord does with that one hour. Maybe volunteer at Toy Box. Maybe give an hour to Lawrence Keel's practical ministry team. Maybe spend an hour with a neighbor or reading a Bible with someone in church or outside a church who doesn't know the Lord Jesus. Or use that hour to commit to pray for one of our mission partners or to pray for this, the life of this church. Think about what you do have, your time, your money, your position at work, your home for hospitality, your car for lifts. Think about what you do have. Prayerfully bring that to Jesus and ask him to use that. Thirdly, and this is pointedly, consider compassion ministries. As we feast on the word of God, we will see more of what God has done for us and how much he loves all people. And that should fill our hearts with compassion. As we fill our minds with the truth of the gospel, it will fill our hearts with compassion, a love for the people that God loves. And that compassion is going to drive us out to serve others. We'll work in ministries looking to serve those who are homeless. We'll work in ministries to work for those whose financial needs are pressing, maybe through agencies like Christians Against Poverty or the Food Bank. We'll work with those who have addictions. We'll work with refugees. We'll foster children. It'll look different for each one of us, but it will be there driven out to serve the people that the Lord loves. And so a challenge for us all this morning. Uh, Has the gospel filled our minds? And has it also filled our heart with such compassion as to drive us out in the service of those who are lost and wandering in the world like sheep without a shepherd? Are our hearts filled with compassion? Or are our heads just filled with knowledge?
Now, the obvious question, the obvious question is, how do we get the power then to do those things? My heart wants to do those things, but how do I get the power to do that? Where does the power come from? And the answer to that can be found in verse 41. Take a look with me at verse 41. Jesus writes, Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Jesus took the bread, he gave thanks, and then he broke it. Well, how does that help us, you may think? Mark's already shown us, hasn't he, that uh, Jesus himself is leading a new exodus, that we see elements of the exodus uh, in this miracle, that God is indeed calling a people for himself. And in the original exodus account, that journey began because there was a lamb that was sacrificed. The blood of that lamb was placed on a lintel, on a wooden doorpost, and the people escaped underneath the blood of the lamb. There was an innocent lamb that was killed. And under its cover, the people of God were rescued. And the breaking of bread here identifies that the lamb that is going to be killed to allow God's people to go free in this new exodus is Jesus. Because on the night before Jesus died, he had supper with his disciples. And we read that later in Mark's gospel. He took bread and broke it. Take, this is my body, Jesus says. He knew that he was the lamb that would be slain. It was his body that was going to be broken and his blood that would be poured out. And that would start this new exodus where a people would be rescued, not from an oppressive regime, but rescued from sin and rescued from death. To be drawn into a living relationship with the one true God, to go from being enemies of God to being children of God. Dearly loved children of God. To feast on God's word and enjoy that. To know that. And the power that we need to grow in compassion is to look at the truly compassionate king. The shepherd king, Jesus. The one whose compassion for his sheep, for you and for me if we believe this morning. Was so great that he left the comfort of the throne room in heaven. To come to rescue us from the death we deserve. And he did that by taking upon himself our penalty for our rebellion against God. Dying in our place. Not holding anything back. He gave it all. He gave it all. For you and for me. To the degree that we are able to see that. See the one who had everything but gave it all up for us. So that he could have us in eternity with him. To the extent that we can see that, we'll have the courage that we need to surrender the little that we have to him. To the extent we can see the enormity of God's compassion for us, we'll have the Spirit's power to be compassionate to others. You see, the feeding of the 5,000 isn't an account of a big picnic, it's telling us of a new kingdom. A new king who is full of compassion. And it tells of a new exodus. A new people of God. So let that fill your hearts with joy. Let me pray.
Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much that uh, the one true king is a king of compassion. Thank you that uh, in his love for us, uh, that you sent him and he willingly came. Uh, Father, I do pray that uh, the truths of our salvation, of your son dying for us in our place, bringing us to yourself through this new exodus, I pray that that joy would fill our hearts to know that you have drawn us to yourself in and through what you have done through the Lord Jesus. Allow that truth to fill our hearts as well as our minds. And Father, help us to bring before you the little that we have, trusting in your goodness to multiply what we bring. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I hope you have been encouraged uh, from God's word this morning. And uh, if there's something particularly is laid on your heart and you'd like somebody to pray with you about that, um, do either maybe ask the person next to you or the prayer ministry team will be over here in the corner with the red lanyards. Or any of those will be very pleased to pray with you. Um, please stay for some refreshments and enjoy some time of fellowship and the sharing together after this service now. And then we're back here at six o'clock when we're starting a new series in 1 Thessalonians. So it'd be great to see uh, lots of you here this evening as well. Let me close with some words from Hebrews 13. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.